child Gather around as we make a song How shall we sing of grace in this strange place? I don't know, but I'll sing along Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, September 4th, 2022. My name is James Marino, and on the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, The Book of Broadway Musical Debates, Disputes, and Disagreements, is now available and can be purchased wherever finer books are sold. <laughs> Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many of the places. Hello, Peter. Hi. I, As I mentioned before we started recording, Peter, my copy of uh, Broadway Musical Debates, Disputes, and Disagreements has not arrived yet because it is just sold out everywhere. Well, because Amazon only offered um, one copy. You know, that's all they ordered. So uh, the one person uh, got it, and that's that. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I'm hearing this a lot. I'm sorry to say, um, but um, uh, soon, soon, yeah, soon, yeah. Uh, if there's one thing we learn, time passes quickly. So soon, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, you know, the, the Mary Rogers uh, uh, biography uh, seems to have happened the same sort of way a couple of weeks ago. People couldn't get their hands yes. on it. but yeah. So, I mean, you and Mary Rogers, good company. Same good company. <laughs> yeah. reading it. How, um, tell us, Michael. Oh, it is so incredibly fantastic. Good. I mean, it's just so enjoyable from a writing standpoint. Uh, I mean, I always enjoyed her lyrics and her music, Mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't know that she could write this kind of a book that way. It's really one of the best I've ever read, one of the best autobiographies, memoirs, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, that voice is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other finer publications. You can see his <laughs> photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Welcome back from P-Town. Thank you. You had a good trip last week? I did. I did. Good. We're going to talk a little bit about that later in the show. Um, I wanted to do a little bit of uh, of uh, maintenance work here. As I mentioned, Peter's book is out. You can uh, order Peter's book, uh, you know, uh, anywhere that you can get books, um, drama bookshop, you can also get it at Amazon. There's a link in the show notes to get it through Amazon. But, uh, you know, support the drama bookshop, you know. Indeed. And we're Indeed. going to talk we about may the may be doing an event there on the 20th that um, it hasn't been signed, sealed, and delivered. But um, I may be doing a book signing there on the 20th. So oh, that's pencil great. that in. Don't pen it in, just pencil it. That's where I went to get my copy of Mary Rogers when nobody else could get it anywhere. Uh-huh. I called them up. I said, do you have it? They said, yeah, we have 50 in stock. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I went there and actually they had to go get it out of a box. They hadn't even taken it out of the box wow. yet, wow. <laughs> but they oh, sold it to me. And, you know, just quickly, there is so much in the book that uh, is so fascinating, a lot that I knew and so much that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Um, Once Upon a Mattress you know, was first done at Tamament, mm-hmm. that, that adult camp, uh, mm-hmm. and um, it was first done in, in a, a much shorter uh, version. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know who played Winifred in that version? I used to. Who? Yv- Yvonne Othon. Who is? 
the woman who in the movie of West Side Story, the original says, I know you do. (laughs) (laughs) And then she I think she later changed her name to Yvonne Wilder. And she was in uh, she became a TV actress and and other things like that. But I never knew. I never knew that. So is I know you do actually in the song. Is it something that was an ad lib? I wonder. I, I think you asked that before and I replied, I don't know. I, uh-huh. I, I think that's why it, I asked it again. I, I think it was her. I think she did it on the set and they, uh-huh. they loved it and they kept it. Uh-huh. It's funny. <laughs> uh, those of us who grew up with that soundtrack, I mean, we, we just hear it all the time. And I mean, Absolutely. It's, it's, it's impossible to think of it not being there. Oh, that's great. I, You know, I've been thinking about, there's been so many great books that are have been coming out recently, and I was thinking about doing sort of a monthly book club podcast, uh-huh. but I'm not sure that there's uh, yeah. a ton of interest in it, but if you are somebody who is listening that would be interested in something, like a monthly book club podcast uh, about some theater books, uh, let us know. And, uh, you know, if there's enough interest, we'll put something together on a monthly basis. That seems like it would be a lot of fun. So uh, uh, in keeping with uh, talking about the Drama Bookshop, um, online mm-hmm. I saw that the Drama Bookshop had signed copies of the libretto to A Strange Loop. Oh. Uh, and so, and there was only like 10 or something like that of them mm-hmm. at the Drama Bookshop, and I snagged one. Oh, good. And uh, we're going to make that available as a little tiny contest for Patreon members. If you're a current Patreon member and you want to be considered for this uh, signed edition of A a Strange Loop, the libretto of it, email us at patreon at broadwayradio.com and we'll pick a winner next Sunday and let everybody know uh, who the winner is. And a little bit of a bonus for those Patreon members who are supporting us at Broadway Radio. Mm, James, who exactly is it signed by? It is signed by Michael R. Jackson. Ah. So, is it um, a bound text? Is it published? What? Yeah, it is, um, you know, one of the librettos that's typically for sale. Okay, it's uh, published. It's yeah. officially published. It's not yeah. a manuscript or anything. No, like exactly, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we do have, uh, so I saw that, and I just happened to be uh, in the neighborhood of uh, Drama Bookshop, and I picked it up. So, that's great. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, one of very few, and uh, want to make it available to our Broadway Radio Patreon subscribers. Mm-hmm. So email us at Patreon at BroadwayRadio.com, and next week Matt will let you know uh, who won it. Uh, which leads me to my next thing. Matt's going to host next week. I'm going to be out next week, so Matt it will be here with uh, Peter and Michael. Uh, and last thing for the morning, but not the least, is that. <laughs> Uh, Jan Simpson's new podcast, All the Drama, uh, is uh, now available for Patreon members, and next week it'll be available to the general public. She focuses on the 1949 Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, play, Death of a Salesman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and wow, I really, in- really enjoyed listening to it. So uh, so get over and take a listen to listen to Jan's All the Drama on Death of a Salesman. And we'll be seeing it soon. Yeah, and she talks about that as well. She talks about the uh, the four or five different revivals that we have seen, plus the uh, 
trust the parallels uh, in Arthur Miller's life and how he how he wrote that. And it, it's it's just a it's a wonderful thirty minute podcast that Jan has put together every month. I'm just impressed by uh, by the insights that I've never I've never heard before about what Jan brings to light there. So in the review section, Michael and Peter got over to the park to see As You Like It. So, uh, Michael, why don't you start us off with this? Well, I saw the show the night before I left uh, from my vacation in Provincetown. So I didn't really, I mean, I could have checked in with, obviously, with the reviews from up there, but I didn't for whatever reason. I hear that they're through the roof. Uh, and I am not surprised. I absolutely loved it. Uh, I thought it was just perfect for the park and for, uh, for the, the, the mission of, of the public theater and, and uh, the way that they're doing shows now, uh, the kind of incredibly diverse casting. And, and also this is one of those public works um, productions, the ones that involve uh, huge casts of community members in addition to the, uh, you know, to the regular company. Uh, and, and for that reason, uh, especially when you get the playbill, you'll see that there are asterisks next to uh, everyone who is an, es- an equity member uh, next to their names. But there are a lot of people who are not, uh, you know, especially in the, in the ensemble. Uh, and it's just so wonderfully done. This, this, this show was done before. I did not see it. I think, I think when it was done before, it was just for one of those very limited runs. Is that correct? Well, the reason it was limited is because we had terrible weather at, uh, at that time. And so many performances were canceled because oh. of rain. Oh, but I mean, but but it was it was it had it been scheduled as one of the regular? No, uh, no, they uh, I don't know if they still do this. I guess they don't because we would have heard about it by now. But they used to do something um, in the first week of September. I think it was where they did like a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And that's that's what it was then. But this time it was one of the two full productions in the park. The other one being Richard III, which I did not see. But this one was just great in every way. Uh, The set design by Myung Hee Cho, which uh, featured wonderful um, trees for the Forest of Arden that had uh, leaves that looked like someone. The woman behind me said they look like loofahs. (laughs) <laughs> and she was right <laughs> but it was so wonderful and fanciful but then there was a um the, the the focal point of the set design was a huge bridge uh built on the stage of the delacorte that i i guess was supposed to be modeled after the uh some of the bridges you actually see in central park and so that was wonderful costumes emilia sosa lighting isabella bird uh sound sun he kill and uh starting from uh, the adaptation is so wonderful, uh, adapted by Shana Taub and Laurie Woolery, music and lyrics by Shana Taub, who I think is really one of the most talented uh, and, and most promising. Well, I would say promising, but I think she's beyond promising at this point. She's uh, I mean, she's still relatively new in oh, her yeah. career, mm-hmm. but but she has some wonderful major credits uh, already and her music and lyrics are fantastic and they sound modern while also uh, being 
very melodic and catchy and accessible. And she can also write different types of songs with equal dexterity, whether ballads or comedy songs, production numbers, uh, dance numbers. So I think that she is one of the great hopes of music theater. And I'm so glad that the public is giving her so much opportunity. I, I, I did not so much enjoy uh, the show Suffs, which she also wrote. Uh, but even there, I, I, I really liked the score. It was more the construction of the show that I had some issues with. But here, since we're dealing with one of Shakespeare's uh, best comedies, uh, construction was not a problem. And, mm-hmm. and it was really just absolutely delightful with an amazing cast. Addo Blankson Wood as Orlando, Rebecca Naomi Jones as Rosalind Darius de Haas as Duke Sr. and uh, Shana Taub herself as Jayquees um, in a gender blind casting. Um, she, by the way, saved, I was wondering if she was going to do this. She saved all the worlds of stage for the finale of the show, uh, almost as an epilogue. Uh, it didn't happen where it happens in the play itself. And I thought actually that that was a, a, a really great decision because it worked beautifully as a summing up for everything. Um, Darius de Haas, I was lucky to see him because I think, um, I, I think I saw his last performance before he had to call out for COVID. Oh, really? Uh, Uh, Yeah, I saw uh, that he posted on Facebook that he was going to miss the opening, the official opening. Um, And I did notice that he sounded slightly ragged. His voice sounded slightly ragged in a couple of the numbers. But, you know, he's still Darius de Haas, and he he was amazing in that role. Uh, So I was very happy to see him because I've really been an admirer of his for decades. And um, Addo Blankson Wood was was perfectly charming and sang beautifully and acted wonderfully as Orlando. And uh, I will, I have to say um, anybody who saw Rebecca Naomi Jones in that horrendous Daniel fish desecration of Oklahoma um, and did not like her in that. If you see her in this, I think you will find it hard to believe it's the same person. She's, she's superb in this role Uh, in every possible respect. She, sings beautifully because it's in her range unlike the songs in Oklahoma and the acting is is just charming and 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 sweet and funny and very gregarious and she really makes you fall in love with the character and root for her through the, throughout the whole show and I'm so glad um that she got this showcase because that other thing was something that is just best forgotten as far as I as I'm concerned um and uh yeah, so I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, I would not be a bit surprised if it winds up transferring to Broadway. I don't know if there are any rumors of that, but I do know this. Um, uh, it is already scheduled to be done elsewhere because Nikita Burstein, who's going to be in my Bernstein uh, on Broadway show at 54 below on September 27th is already booked to play Orlando in a production of it on the West coast somewhere. I, I forget exactly where he said mm. it's happening, but um, yeah. And I'm, and, and there again, I am not a bit surprised. The other thing that's great about this show is that while this production, as I said, features a, a huge cast of community members, um, 
it could be done much smaller. It really could be done, uh, you know, at, at several different sizes and just be equally effective. So it's it's a wonderful new addition to the musical theater canon, and and I think that many many people are going to see and and adore it as much as I did. Peter, what's your take on the show? Very much the same. Uh, the things I would add is it's, uh, Michael um, men- mentioned the, the gender blind um, situation, but there's quite a bit of it. There's a good deal of uh, gay romance going on in this production. Yes. Great fun, too. And um, the one thing I think you mentioned all the worlds of stage. Yeah. Um, did we actually hear the seven ages of man in any context? Like, no, that, no, uh, it was just it was the phrase "all the world is all right, the world's yeah, a stage." That I, yeah, I yeah. was a little surprised that wasn't musicalized. But no, and and when it didn't happen at the point where I know it happens in Shakespeare's "As You Like It," I said, "Oh, oh, oh, they're saving it for the end." And right. yes, and no, they did. Um, all the world's a stage. Though she does come out at the beginning of the show and sing those lines. But um, yes, uh, wonderful music, wonderful music, perceptive lyrics. Uh, great, great fun. I do believe that uh, we will see it again. I wouldn't be surprised if it does go to Broadway. Only 90 minutes, by the way. And um, while, of course, it was fun to see all these people from all five boroughs, um, all five, yes, indeed, Staten Island was represented. Yay, Michael. And um, <laughs> it, uh, it of course, doesn't need to have um, all these people on the stage. Uh, it's fun always to see so many people on a stage. So, um, but yes. um, on Broadway, of course, they won't have nearly that many. But um, I do believe we are going to see it again because it's such fun. Yes. It's, it's such yes. escapist fun. Um, yes, indeed, about Rebecca Naomi Jones. Um, after all, uh, she was directed to be um, quite pouty and quite um, quite difficult in <laughs> Oklahoma. To um, say the least. Uh, yeah, and here she is just being, uh, of course, she's threatened. I mean, she's thrown out of uh, and has to go to live in the Forest of Arden uh, because of her uncle, who certainly isn't avuncular to her. Um, and and uh, also, it's really very nice, too, that um, her cousin Celia uh, goes with her. I mean, after all, that's um, his daughter. Dania Quisada plays her and plays her very, very well. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's so funny to see Duke Sr., Darius de Haas, because it seems like only yesterday that he was a young man. And I know Sr. is meant in a different context, but, I mean, uh, the irony didn't escape yes. me. <laughs> um, but I also loved uh, the, uh, there was sort of like a yo, heave, ho, ho theme for whenever Duke Frederick came in uh, that I thought was great fun. You hear it about six, seven times during the uh, evening. But it was always great fun to hear. It's only about a measure or two long, but uh, the, everybody sings this all hail to Frederick um, every time he comes in. And uh, it really makes you turn against him in a very strange way, which, uh, which is really quite good too. So yes. Um, let's also mention that um, uh, James Ortiz, who did uh, Milky White in the current um, into the woods on Broadway, uh, did a couple of uh, um, woodland creatures here too, uh, which is, fun I, but the audience i'm sure there's a part of the audience who goes to shakespeare in the park thinking well it's shakespeare but 
it's free. So when do I get to see a free show? And it's always fun to sit out there. Um, I don't think they expected to be as delighted as they Mm. were. And I'm delighted that they were as delighted as they were. I mean, the response was just wonderful to each and every song. And uh, at the end, whoa, I mean, uh, it's too bad the aisles weren't just a little bit wider um, between rows because indeed uh, there would have been much more dancing. But uh, a lot of people just got up and had a wonderful time at the end of the show. So, uh, yes, and I am so in agreement, Michael, about Shana Taub. Now, I know she's had her troubles out in Chicago because oh. that's where the Devil Wears Prada has been, and um, right. that seemed to be disappointing to a lot of people. I don't know. I wasn't there. But, um, and um, I haven't heard any plans. They don't have an opening date on Broadway. Uh, they haven't booked a theater, and certainly theaters are available. So I don't know what's going to go on with that. But, um, and of course, she only provided lyrics in that point to Elton John's music. But, um, but I, I hope that they straighten that one out too, because boy, that seems to be a great musical theater property. And, um, but obviously work has to be done and, uh, let's hope they do it. Yeah, to that point, you, you just made the friend with whom I went uh, said how it was amazing that they managed to write a musical of As You Like It that's 90 minutes long and you didn't feel like they skipped any of the plot. It's true. Yeah, really. Um, I, I agree with that, too. I mean, all of those minor characters are in there. Sylvius is now Sylvia, as mm-hmm. you uh, alluded to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that Sylvia, Sylvia and Phoebe thing is mm-hmm. still there. And all of the, all of the little characters, they're all there. Mm-hmm. So amazing, amazing work. Uh, I, I neglected to say directed by Laurie Woolery, and we really should mention that because it was yes, very indeed. well done. Mm-hmm. Also, it says original choreography by Sonia Ta- Taye. Uh, choreography, restaging, and additional choreography by Billy Griffin. Um, but I really wanted to just yeah, uh, yeah, acknowledge no, every element sure, of this production sure, because sure. it's so, so well done. It's interesting to me that uh, I'm looking at the public's website. Uh, the public is usually very forthcoming about dramaturgs, but I don't see any dramaturg listed here in the as you like it thing so uh, that might have really helped with the uh, uh being able to put this together in such a tight package 90 minutes no intermission without skipping anything and uh well wow. whoever did it yeah. just did a brilliant job whether it was just uh shana taubin laurie willery themselves or whether yeah. they had help it's mm-hmm. just yeah. i wanted to ask you guys tangentially um uh something that i've thought about over the years and i've never had the opportunity to ask you about it. I mean, Shakespeare is just as capable in comedy and drama and tragedy uh, across the board. Do you, you, I think of other playwrights who can really cover these type of bases and, and perform at the same level across the board? Hmm. Well, I don't think we can say anybody uh, can do at the same level, but uh, I was uh, thinking like Neil Simon. I was just going to say Neil Simon, you know, who um, certainly has, um, of course, most of the time dealt with comedy, um, but nevertheless <clears throat> could break our hearts too in in plays like yeah. Boston Yonkers and The Gingerbread Lady. Hmm. Yeah. So, if uh, you're a listener and you have something to say about uh, any other playwrights that could really cover all the different genres as well as Shakespeare did. I uh, would be inter- <laughs> interested to hear that, you know? So would I. <laughs> yeah. 
So, uh, Peter, you got over to the theater at St. Clement's to see Hal Linden and Bernie Capel in a new comedy called Two Jews Talking. So tell us about this. Uh, what I do want to say first and foremost is that um, when I talked to Hal Linden afterwards, I said, you know, I got to tell you, I remember you um, at Painter's Mill Theater in 1966 uh-huh. um, doing um, the pajama game with Liza Minnelli and Lou Belisa. And he said, I never did that. So I came home and I dug out my playbill. And he's right. He didn't do that. However, what was so interesting, this was the day that Robert Lupone died. And Robert uh-huh. Lupone was yeah. in that cast as a dancer. So, I mean, that was kind of ironic. Okay, on to Two Jews Talking. He's extraordinarily good in it. 89 years old, you'd never know it. I mean, crisp, a really crisp performance. Um, he's really the uh, person who uh, does most of the talking and certainly uh, spurs the action. Uh, Bernie Capel is more of the straight man who uh, does a great deal more listening and occasionally will come in and say something grating, uh, which drives uh, Helen and crazy. It's not what I expected. Two Jews Talking, they are. No, no question. <laughs> it is truth in advertising, but we all have our preconceptions when we go to the theater. And I expected it was simply going to be two guys in easy chairs trading stories. That's what I expected. And, you know, there was a show like that not that long ago um, um, at uh, the West Side Arts. What was it called? I don't remember. Do you know what I'm talking about? Something um, like Jews, all Jews telling jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's right. Um, so I expected that type of thing. No, it really is more, you should pardon the expression, a play or a book show, if you will. Um, because the first, I was stunned when I walked in, stunned because um, there's a set um, that uh, seems like ancient Egypt. And that's, as I say, not what I expected at all. And they are talking about uh, life in ancient times, and that's that's who they are. And um, and um, but then they get more contemporary in, in the second part of it, <clears throat> um, about 80, 90 minutes, perhaps. And it's written by Ed Weinberger, who um, did the Mary Tyler Moore show, um, was a very important uh, component of that. And um, so it has that wit. I will say the wit does not come every second. Uh, every now and then you will find yourself laughing. You will um, enjoy the evening, but it, it's impossible for something like this not to make you say, gee, I wish you were funnier still. Um, so, uh, you know, like Alan Brady on the Dick Van Dyke show one time said, you know, um, this script, there are a lot of hee 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 but there are no ha-ha-has, you know, and uh, that's what you really want from a show like this. And um, you really get that, but you will be amused. Hmm. All right. So uh, that is two Jews talking, and it. I don't. I couldn't find an end date for it. So it looks like an open run. open run. Well, I do know the Cat in the Hot Tin Roof is coming back there. Mm. That, that I know. Um, really? But I don't. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I do okay. know that. Um, All right. The gentleman who played Brick told me. So I mean, I. I when Peter and uh, I talked about this uh, when planning for the show, uh, I was just stunned that Hal Lindenberg and Capello playing at the theater at St. Clements. But there it is on 46th mm-hmm. Street, uh, 46th Street, excuse, yeah, right, 46th yeah. Street. And um, I have a link to that in the show notes. So I am definitely going to get over and, and, and see this. That is just amazing. So, Michael, you got down to Washington, D.C. Boy, you've done a lot of traveling the last couple of weeks. <laughs> and uh, you went to the Signature Theater to see The Color Purple. So tell us about this. 
it was a really fantastic, wonderful production uh, of a show that didn't start out so well uh, with the original Broadway production. I, I've always said that I felt that production was overproduced. And also, I, I'll never forget, it has stuck in my mind. So it really must have been a huge issue that it was one of the loudest shows I've ever heard. And it was that level of volume is always uh, incredibly annoying to me, but also seems so um, inappropriate to what is basically a very uh, intimate and serious story. Uh, so that show uh, had had mo- that production had moderate success. I, I, I guess it would say mm-hmm. it would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the revival, the John Doyle revival, I thought was a triumph uh, with Cynthia Revo and at at all, uh, and mainly because it was so much simpler in staging and also. The, there was a reasonable uh, volume level, uh, and and the show just blossomed under that. Uh, I mean, it may have well been the production, the uh, direction as well, and and some of the cast uh, were superior. But I think that production was the first one that showed me that this is a really wonderful musical book by Marsha Norman, music and lyrics by Brenda Russell, Allie Willis, and Stephen Bray. Um, I would say this signature production was modeled quite closely after that Broadway revival. Even uh, I I don't have a clear memory of the set uh, for that Broadway revival, but I think it was very similar to this one, just a basic unit set of that looks like the um, the exterior of of a of a home uh, or something like a clabbered. Is that how you say that word? Clabbered, C L A P B O A R D. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, you know, just with um, grayish slats going across, and very very simple. Uh, in this case, um, for certain scenes, the slats opened up, uh, so you could see. Um, uh, drops and and sometimes even action behind it, and that was uh, especially in, uh, happened here in the scenes that are set in Africa. The few scenes that are set in Africa, um, so uh, that that aspect of it was great. And this was directed by Timothy Douglas, music directed by Mark G. Meadows, choreographed by Dane Figueroa Edidi, um, and uh, the lead performance of Nova Payton. Uh, that's Nova, N-O-V-A, uh, Peyton, P-A-Y-T-O-N, middle initial Y. Uh, she is a, a mainstay of theater in D.C. And if you see this show, you will know why she's she's just amazing and astounding uh, in, in this show. But also um, equally so was Frenchie Davis. Um, do you all remember her? Uh, Bell. Yeah, she was on Broadway in Rent. And I think, uh, you know, I, I forgot to look her up. It, she, I think she became famous as uh, in one of those TV singing contests like American uh, Idol or mm-hmm. something. But she was Sophia uh, and she was equally fantastic. The whole company was great. I, I don't think most uh, people who see theater only in New York would, would recognize any of the other names. but but down to uh, the last one of them, they were all fantastic. And it, uh, the signature is 
always uh, a place that I try to make a destination when I go to DC. In fact, I usually go specifically <laughs> uh, to see a show there. And then if there's something else that's going on theatrically, I'll try to catch that as well. But this was definitely worth the trip. Um, and they have fairly long runs. And I, I, I was there on one of the official opening nights. I think they had two press openings. Uh, so it you can catch it if you if you um play your cards right if you can get down there soon and and i would say that it's it's more than worth the trip so uh let's uh skip backwards hmm. back to as you like it just for a second hmm. tony janicky one of our listeners in the chat room who's listening to us live um says that uh northwestern is doing the the uh Tabulary adaptation of As You Like It from November 11th to the 20th this fall. So if you're in the Chicago area and can get over to Northwestern, you might be able to catch this before a possible run on Broadway. So, uh, yeah, check it out. And then the Color Purple back at Signature is running through October 9th. Mm. So you have about a month or so to check it out. We have a link to that in the show notes. And, uh, Thank you, Michael, for making that trip down to Signature because they do such great work. The friend with whom I went to see that had never experienced the color purple in any form. Uh, never read it, never seen the movie, never seen the musical. Mm-hmm. And he went in basically cold and he he was crying. Ah, uh, nice. At, at the end of Act One and then at the end of Act Two. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most astonishing productions I ever saw was a high school production oh. uh, from North Carolina from the gentleman who won the very first uh, Teacher's Award that Tony's give out. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And um, he did a production with kids uh, from um, who had trouble in their lives in terms of um, homes. And um, I mean, there was one boy who lived out of his, his father's car, you know, that type of thing. And I'll tell you, the kid who played Mr. was so incredible in being such a terrible, terrible human being as Mr. is. And at the end of the show, when he came out and we went crazy for him because he was so effective, he burst into tears on stage. It was so oh. amazing to see this oh. kid such a, a tough nut, you know, really show us that um, he really was a vulnerable kid. But really, um, Cody Williams, I think, is the name of the director. I, I maybe Cody Mitchell, maybe? Mitchell, I think it's Mitchell. But anyway, um, it, it was a phenomenal production. And I'll never forget that kid um, being so appreciated and caring that he was so appreciated. I find it interesting when shows um, in their initial Broadway productions are not that great uh, and then go on to have really healthy lives elsewhere and in better productions? Well, uh, Exhibit A is Susical. Who expected that that would turn mm. out to be what it turned out to be? It was so great that um, regional theaters and college theaters and community theaters said, it doesn't matter that it failed on Broadway. Mm. We care about Dr. Seuss. We we think this our, our patrons will enjoy Dr. Seuss and so on and so forth. And um, boy, there certainly has been life after Broadway for that show. Yeah, and another example is The Wedding Singer. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. very much true. Uh, Adam's Family. Adam's Family. Yeah, although enormous. that one apparently was extensively rewritten, so that's why I put uh-huh. that in a separate category. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah. That's fair. And Groundhog so Day. No, no, I think yeah. uh, what, what, James? Groundhog Day. Is that doing well? Uh, Groundhog Day has had a lot of uh, a lot of productions, and oh, that's great. Uh, seems like it has uh, taken on a life of its own. So that, yeah, I mean, they're 
there is life after high school. <laughs> so. Nothing is, is there life after high school. That should be done more often. What a score. Oh, I, know. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. Has, has life after high school had a encore production? I, I can't recall. Nothing no, they, no. Um, they did it at the York. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. So, Peter, you got over to ART New York Theaters uh, on 53rd Street to see Los Otros. So, tell us about it. Well, this is a two character show. Um, it's a musical, but it's only two characters. And um, what we're talking about is a woman named Lillian, who is played by Luba Mason. You may uh, have seen her in How to Succeed in the um, Matthew Broderick revival playing Hetty LaRue. Entirely possible you saw her there. Uh, you may have even seen her do the Lucille Ball role in Wildcat at Theater 4 some years ago. It obviously was some years ago because Theater 4 doesn't even exist anymore. But um, she certainly is um, an established pro. There she is with a younger man, Cesar Samayoya. Um, His character name is Carlos. And um, this show actually uh, spans a lot of time. It goes from the 30s right up to uh, the turn of the century in in 2000. And what we're dealing with is a woman who um, was married to a man and he turned out to be gay. And what we learn eventually is that Carlos um, was his lover as well. And so what would happen if these two people met? Um, Would Lillian be lovely to him? Uh, would she say, hey, look, I'm very happy for my ex-husband. He, he finally got what he wanted. Um, <laughs> uh, there are a lot of convolutions that go on here, and it really is something to watch uh, the rise and fall of this, that, and the other thing. Let's, I'm being purposely vague because I want you to see it. Um, Michael John Lacusa wrote the music, some beautiful haunting melodies in it, and one of our most underrated lyricists. Ellen Fitzhugh, who's had terrible luck. She did Grind. She did Paper, which only lasted a few um, weeks. She did Paper Moon. Yes, the marquee was up at the Marquee Theater, but that's as far as they got. The Paper Mill tryout, too far away for Broadway, and um, it never um, happened there. Um, Yes, it has other productions. I saw it at Good Speed. I saw it at the Walnut Theater in... um, Philadelphia, where Liza Minnelli was in the audience, and what a great audience member she is. She applauds like crazy. She she really is. Anyway, back to Los Otros. Wonderfully directed by Noah Himmelstein, a young man, and really, you know, I mean, when you're dealing with an old pro, and I'm not, I, I don't mean to imply for a tenth of a second that I've heard that Luba Mesa is difficult or anything like that, but when you're dealing with an old pro and you're a young man, it must be very difficult to direct and say, um, no, no, try this. Uh, why don't you do that? You know, and um, but there he was delivering a terrific production, very well paced. You really get into it more and more and more. And what what is a better compliment than that, that you're engrossed at the beginning, but they get more engrossed and more engrossed in what will happen. Um, so lovely music, terrific lyrics. Boy, can this lady write lyrics. And um, a very, very worthwhile um, event. It's only about 80 minutes long, I would say, maybe a little longer. But um, that's the time that's needed to tell the story. It's the perfect length. And uh, it's as good a production as you'll see of this ever. By the way, Peter, speaking of Liza, who was the person that you mistook for Hal Linden in that production? His name uh, was Stanley Grover. 
Oh, um, yeah. Was he in Pajama Game originally? Um, I, I think so. Yeah, it rings yeah. a bell. Yeah. So, um, yeah. By the way, Helen was very gracious about it. I mean, he talked to me um, very many more minutes after I had made the mistake. <laughs> and, you know, you would think that he would uh, immediately say, oh, this guy's a jerk. Let me uh, let it go. <laughs> no, we talked for a long time. So he was really, he let it go. He really did. So, um, so he's very nice, too. All right. So Los Atros is playing through October 8th, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Michael, uh, in, instead of going south to D.C., you went north last week to P-Town, where you saw two shows. One, of course, was Marilyn May, which we talked to Marilyn a couple of weeks ago before you went up, and the other was Steven Brinberg. So tell us about these two shows that you saw. Well, Marilyn had a triumph, as always, uh, as I think we discussed. She, When she first started doing P-Town some years ago, she, I think her first engagement was only two nights, and now it's two weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I went on a Tuesday in the middle of summer, uh, the week before uh, Labor Day, and it was packed. <laughs> I mean, not one seat was available. Uh, so it was, it was incredible. She gave a hundred percent as, as always. Um, and it, you know, she usually her shows now, uh, consist of kind of switching up, um, songs from various shows that she's done before because she's sung just about everything <laughs> over the years. So, uh, she, she's been starting, uh, for a while now with a, a very lengthy and fantastic Cole Porter medley. And that, that was the case here as well. Uh, and then she always, she almost always now does this song called Guess Who I Saw Today, mm-hmm. uh, which has become a signature for her. And she does it brilliantly uh, into 50% from Ballroom. Uh, because uh, mm-hmm. Guess Who I Saw Today is about a woman who ha- has seen her husband out with another woman uh, with whom he's having an affair. So first she sings that song, and then she says, well, now this other song, I, th- I like to think of it as being sung by the other woman, because it's about someone who's having an affair, yeah, who's having an affair and who knows that 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 the guy will never be a hundred percent hers, you know, uh, because he's married. Uh, so that, that works brilliantly. And she, she does a, it's like a, I would say like a one act play, but it's really like a two act play. (laughs) Uh, the one song into the other, um, just phenomenal the way she does that. Uh, and apparently she threw in a new item that I had never heard before. And a friend of mine who was there said, I never heard her do that before. And it was, uh, I'll never fall in love again. Mm. So that was nice uh, to just spice it up. And then Steven Brinberg also did a fantastic show with Nicholas King, uh, who's been a guest on our podcast as his guest. Uh, and they, uh, their duet was My Best Girl from MAME. Uh, but Stephen is still celebrating uh, Barbara's, the real Barbara Streisand's 80th birthday. Mm-hmm. And so he, you know, he spends a lot of time uh, making little comments about that. Uh, and he's perfect for P-Town. Uh, the audience loved him. When I think years ago, P-Town used to, the entertainment there pretty much only consisted of really kind of very silly campy drag shows but now the um the menu of entertainment has expanded greatly to include people like marilyn may and and steven who's uh you know it's a much more i mean first of all he doesn't lip sync he sings live and it's it's a much more 
real serious uh, talent kind of a show than than some of the other ones there. Um, Oh, and by and another another option on the talent menu that week, which I missed because it was the night I got there and it was completely sold out, was Audra McDonald with Seth Rudetsky at Town Hall, and I'm told that that was incredible. I, I I've heard I I didn't have a chance to look for it. I'm told there's some clips on YouTube, including uh, apparently, if I understand correctly, Michael Cerverus was in town. Uh, and Audrey didn't know it until she saw him walking along the street. <laughs> so they started talking and he wound up being her guest uh. to sing. They did. Are you ready? They did move on uh. from Sunday in the park. Mm. And apparently the, the, the heavens opened up and Jesus wept. So <laughs> it was, it, it look, look for that. I'm told it's, it's, it is on YouTube and it's just to die for. Wow. That is just great. Uh, the things, the things when people just open up their eyes and walk in through the streets and oh, there's Michael Cerveris. Oh, there's Audrey McDonald. Oh, there's she. oh, the times we live in. So wonderful. So so wonderful. So, uh, Peter, uh, we teased last week that you got back to see the off-Broadway production of Kinky Boots. And I, I think we just had one or two words last week because it was before the official opening night. But now that the opening night has passed, tell us what you really thought. Um, I think it's a terrific revival. But what I really want to talk about more than anything else is Charlie. Because usually when people talk about kinky boots, they center on Lola, you know, uh, who's this unapologetic out there, fully actualized drag queen. And, you know, really, how can you not? I mean, uh, she's bigger than life. Um, you know, <laughs> she certainly ascribes to whatever Lola wants, Lola gets. <laughs> um, and speaking of Wildcat a little earlier, hey, look out, world, here I come. She's that type. Um, and, you know, when you think of it, she really is um, <laughs> the 21st century Sally Bowles. She really has that type of attitude. And um, there's even the line, I do the opposite of people want me to do. Now, that's a real Sally Bolts line. So um, so anyway, and um, Lord knows Billy Porter um, jump started his career. He hadn't been on Broadway for more than a dozen years. And look and look at him now. I mean, uh, he's now a household name and he owes it all to uh, Kinky Boots. Callum Francis in this production. Terrific. Uh, certainly as good. No question. But, you know, in, in shows like this, like Lacage. I mean, there, George Hearn plays the drag queen. Gene Barry doesn't. Who gets the Tony? Again, the drag queen, because those are the parts that are flamboyant, uh, larger than life, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But let's talk about Charlie. Let's talk about Charlie. Now, of, of course, I'm not, I don't want to imply the Stark, Stan, Stark Sands, who originated the role, is, uh, was even a wit inferior to Christian Douglas, who's doing it now. It's just that this is a character that gets short shrift. And I really want to bring up the fact that this is a very worthwhile character because here's a guy who does not want to go into the shoe business. I mean, his father expects him to. He thinks the shoes are the most beautiful thing in the world. Uh, I'd like to see him debate with Jason and Falsettos. Who, I was just yes, thinking that. Yes. Are you really? Yeah. That yes. This is the most beautiful <laughs> thing in the world. Yes. Anyway, um, he has no interest in this. He, he wants to go to London with his um, very superficial uh, girlfriend. She was the girl next door. And uh, indeed, it's one of those things where 
she expects that they're going to get married and he goes along with it. He's very passive at the beginning and he finds himself after his father dies as so many men do, because now he is given the keys to the kingdom, the shoe factory, and he could very easily close it. And in fact, if what we're told is true and there's reason to believe it isn't, but if what we're told is true, his father was negotiating to sell the place because it was doing such a terrible time. But Charlie feels bad for the employees, and he doesn't want them to go starving. And his main reason for keeping it going is so that these people in this very depressed town, not in London, far away, um, that indeed that they will be able to have lives because he knows what's going to happen. If this shoe factory closes, so he's mm. got to keep it going. All right. That's where Lola comes in and does wind up um, helping needless to say, but really it's Charlie who is someone we really have to admire for not putting his own goals first. And it's so wonderful when um, he finally realizes and gets the opportunity to um, part company with um, his fiance. I mean, they were, they were that serious, even though he, he would make a serious mistake if he went with her. So, um, it's Cindy Lauper's music is exactly right for these characters. Um, certainly it's not a golden age score. It doesn't sound it. And it shouldn't because these people are born in the era where rock music is their, their music. Um, so it really is, um, quite good there. And, um, there's a very cute, uh, pun, um, about, heel which i won't give away but it's uh it's a very cute pun and so she did good work there and uh, certainly harvey firestein's book holds up but the wonderful thing is here we are at stage 42 one of the most um haunted houses on broadway in the sense that um it it has such a tough time attracting audiences even though it's just a few steps away from playwrights horizons where people seem to go and theater row where people seem to go but it just, uh, because it had so many flops at the beginning, it really got this reputation of being um, a death house. But it really seems to have the same scope as the Broadway production of the Hirschfeld. Um, I, 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 if it's been reduced, it sure didn't seem it to me. I wouldn't even be surprised if these are the actual sets from, um, they seem to be. So if you haven't we heard, haven't we heard that that stage is the the size of equivalent to the size of a Broadway stage? I haven't heard that, (laughs) but I believe it. You know, um, you know that for a fact, Michael. I seem to recall that when Uh, it opened that they said that. Yeah. And they certainly fill it. Yeah. And uh, so if you miss it on Broadway and you go now, don't feel like you're missing something from the vantage point of a cut down production. It doesn't seem it at all at all. So it's a very, very entertaining show. It's a very life affirming show. And it's really nice to see two people from different walks of life bond, not just because they need each other. No, not just that, but they do have similar backgrounds when they really come down to brass tacks. Granted, in the second act, I will say that Charlie's churning against Lola seems to come out of nowhere. It seems like it's there so that we can get a complication and so they can make up a little bit later. I don't really see it coming, and I don't quite believe that um, he would uh, do what he does. But aside from that, I think it's a very solid book and a very solid show with a very solid score and wonderful performances but let's not overlook Charlie and let's not overlook Christian Douglas. 
So this is playing at Stage 42, which was mm-hmm. formerly known as the Little Schubert Theater. Um, this has had a... Um, uh, a, tr- uh, a track record of shows that are not really able to hold this stage. I mean, Fiddler played for almost a year. That was the mm-hmm. Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everything else uh, has right. really not been able to hold it. But I feel like Kinky Boots might be able to do this. I hope so. so. You know, really, it's a very nice theater. And it, it, it really deserves is. to really be um, successful. Well, in brief, I think we had heard that the the issue is that it's um, mm. the the contract with yeah. the with the stagehands yeah. is that it's um, I believe that that they're paid at the Broadway rate or yeah. something like that, and that's why it's not economically feasible. Um, so I wonder um, how how that how anything could be successful there yeah. if that doesn't change because but, what we haven't said is that it isn't nearly as large as a broadway house no. right it's, yeah 400, very well 499 be. seats yeah mm-hmm. so it's a 499 you know one more seat makes it a broadway right. house right uh so it's just under that so uh i'm not really uh i i, I don't really know the ins and outs of the stagehand contract but certainly uh, it's not been able to um, make a commercial go of it in the last five productions that have gone. Except for Fiddler, um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. But even at Fiddler, I, I wonder if they if right. they broke it, yeah. even. I, 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 never yeah. saw, I never saw a uh, press release that said they broke even. Good point. No, yes. and frankly, I expected it to run longer. Um, yeah. than it did. So that might be a, a consideration as well. Why and they're coming back, but they're going to uh, New World Stages. Is that right? That where they're going? Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right. So that's uh, Kinky Boots in an open-ended run, according to their website. Uh, at Stage 42, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, while uh, we were, Peter was talking about Kinky Boots, Rob Johnston in our chat room found the video of Audra and Michael Servers ah, doing Move nah. On, so I, I threw that into the show notes. Don't Good. everybody go to the show notes right now to watch it, because <laughs> the show notes are not published, so you won't see it. So, um, all right. So, let's see what else we have here. Oh, Peter, you got down to... Uh, you know what? Let's uh, do... Michael, you got over to 54 Below to see Ben Jones, so tell us about that. Oh, yeah. His show is just so fantastic. He had done a, a show of love songs previously. And so he decided, well, the only thing to do is to follow that up with a show called I Think We Should See Other People. Uh-huh. Uh, he is, uh, I mean, he's really the the full package, this guy, in terms of in- an incredible tenor voice and great looks and charm. And also now it turns out hilariously funny. Uh, when he wants to be, uh, and he wrote the show himself. The the numbers uh, ranged from, he opened with Down With Love. Uh, he did Tainted Love. Um, he did that fantastic melding of With Every Breath I Take from City of Angels mm-hmm. with Losing My Mind from Follies that uh, was arranged for him by Ron Abel, which I had seen him do previously in one of Scott Siegel's shows. And it just, it was, I was equally astounded by it the second time. Uh, he, he, uh, also, he also did uh, another song he had sung for Scott Siegel, You'll Be Back, 
from Hamilton, which is about a different kind of a breakup. <laughs> um, and he's saying, I want to, I, that, that great song, I want to be around to pick up the pieces mm-hmm. when somebody breaks your heart. <laughs> and uh, as a tribute um, to Olivia Newton John, he did Hopelessly Devoted to You, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. The, the audience just really loved that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his patter was beyond hilarious. He, he did, um, at one point, he he messed up slightly. He fumbled on a on a word or something, and he said, "He said, you know, I wouldn't insult you all by doing anything we'd rehearsed." <laughs> 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 and then um, he did a patter bit about uh, how people in different professions uh, and different avocations can use different lines when they're breaking up with each other. So he said, like for example, if you're uh, if two astronauts are dating. Uh, you know, and they, they want to get out of it, they can say, I, I think we need more space. <laughs> and, um, and, it, and if two theater people are dating and it's not going well, they could say, well, and it seems like we're at two different stages in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the audience is going, oh, <laughs> but it was really, really funny. And uh, he's going to be also, Ben, is going to be in my Bernstein on Broadway show Great. on September 27th. And he's doing he's just his career seems to be skyrocketing he's singing all over the country with symphony orchestras and and things like that in addition to what he does in new york so um put him on your radar if he isn't already mm-hmm. all right so uh next thing up peter got down to the cape may stage to see the lifespan of a fact so tell us uh what you thought of this production so Life's Phantom Effect, which we saw some seasons ago with uh, Cherry Jones and Daniel Radcliffe and Bobby Cannavale. Um, and here it is down at Cape May stage. And Marlena Lustig is playing the Cherry Jones part and uh, fresh from her uh, engagements on Broadway in Foxy and Pooh's Cafe. All right, maybe not so fresh from those, um, but nevertheless, uh, she was in those musicals on Broadway. You're pardoned if you've heard of neither one of them. Um, But uh, anyway, here she is, and um, she's playing a tough-nosed editor. Um, She uh, is somebody who doesn't cotton to interns very easily. She assumes they don't know very much. And here is Isaac Joseph Thal playing the role of this young intern, a Harvard graduate, uh, which means nothing to her because interns have no experience. And so she gives him a real tough test. And that is, he is to fact check what um, the uh, star journalist of uh, all time uh, has done for her magazine. He's written this very, very poignant piece. It's a lovely piece. It's a heart tugger about a guy who committed suicide by jumping off a building. Except many of the facts in it are quite wrong. More to the point, the journalist knows that they're wrong. He doesn't care that they're wrong. The feeling Hmm. is some of the words he uses flow better if indeed you do not um, use the actual terms. Numbers even. He prefers certain numbers to others because they sound better in your head while you're reading. This is... um, a version, really, of Lettuce and Lovage, if you remember that play from uh, a few decades back, where Maggie Smith played um, a museum tour guide, and she used to make up facts because she felt that, after all, it would be more entertaining for people 
to um, have a good time while they're touring the museum, that they can have a few chuckles here and there. Well, this is a serious story, granted, you know, and um, and so because it's a serious story, um, there you're not going to hear very many laughs, though every now and then there is one. This is a play that was written by three people, Jeremy Carrican, David Morell, and Gordon Farrell. Uh, you very rarely see three people working on a play, a musical all the time, granted, but a play, no. But whatever it is, it works very well. It works very well because Isaac Josephthal is so potent in holding stage with one of my favorite Jersey actors, Bill Timoney, who is cocksure and you can't tell him anything and he has all the answers and he has the experience and he's going to wield that over this young kid. Yeah, you know, I was doing this before you were born, all that type of stuff. So um, so Bill is a force, but Isaac Josephthal is not going to be swayed by that. Not at all, because he has truth on his side. And he knows it. And he doesn't have to back down as long as he has the truth. And he's researched it. And what happens, of course, is that the editor is in the middle. Um, in a way, she even sympathizes with her hotshot journalist. In a way. Because she thinks the piece reads very well, too. But, but she knows that the facts have to be right there, too. That has to happen as well. Just has to. So, what's going to happen? Well, it's quite an event. And Cape May Stage um, is in a tiny little church. Um, I don't think there are more than eight rows, maybe. Um, and wow, to see this on opening night and to see this audience riveted by it, riveted, was just so impressive. So um, <laughs> Cape May is, needless to say, not that close to the city. It's about a two-hour drive, maybe a little more. Um, <laughs> you get on the Turnpike for a while and then the Garden State Parkway for a longer while. But it's such a charming town. It's a great place to spend a day. It's got a wonderful beach. It has uh, charming stores, terrific restaurants. I gained two pounds. And uh, <laughs> you, you really, um, if you've never been to Cape May, you really should do it, especially if you've ever had an interest in bird watching because this is considered to be one of the great bird watching places in the universe david sibley who's an expert on this subject says this is his favorite place in the world to watch birds so if that's anything you're interested in and want to get interested in do that during the day but at night get to cape may stage and see the lifespan of a fact hmm. all right so, uh, Lifespan is playing, Dana, Cape May October through 2nd. October 2nd. And uh, do you know this uh, director, Roy Steinberg? Yeah, he's been there a while. Um, is he, it uh, the same Roy Steinberg from uh, the soap operas? There you have me. I know nothing about TV. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So uh, I have to call down to Cape May and find find out if it's the same Roy Steinberg or not. So you knew a Roy Steinberg who was um, yeah he was uh, he was involved in soap opera uh, uh, producing in the nineties or so. By the way, uh, let me also say this: Marlena Lustig um, obviously is a great favorite there because the lights went up there. She was on stage alone and she got entrance applause. So uh, she's obviously a big star there, and good for her. 
Hmm. A couple of weeks back, we talked about a production at the AMT Theater, and the three of us knew nothing about it, so Michael got out here, Sherlock Holmes, and did his investigation. (laughs) So, Michael, what did you find out about the AMT Theater? Well, Peter and I both attended an open house for the theater, which was very informative. And uh, one thing we found out was uh, actually uh, Seth Bissenhirsch, who just had a show there, he was the one who told me um, the answer to this, to this specific question as to what AMT stands for. We were all speculating on American musical theater. Mm-hmm. You know, a, no, it's um, it's named after Albert M. Tapper, who's <laughs> one of the uh, the 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 lead the owner is one of the lead producers of it, um, and, along with um, his. I guess his main partner is Tony Sportiello, Mm -hmm. whose title is artistic director. Um, So they're kind of the the leaders of that. And they spoke uh, at this open house and told us a lot about their plans. And they're they're going to be producing their own stuff there, as well as renting out to um, to other, you know, other people. And it sounds like that it's going to, it's going to be an affordable place to do shows. We, we always need more of those. Um, the theater uh, has been beautifully renovated. Uh, uh, I've seen it in at least two previous incarnations. Um, uh, and this is the, at least the second renovation <laughs> that I've seen there. Mm-hmm. Um and it, this is so interesting. I, I plan to go and, and tell them, uh, give them a suggestion as to the one problem that I saw, which was when I attended Seth Bisenhirsch's show there. Uh, I thought that the sight lines were an issue because uh, for that show, the, the actors were performing on the on the floor. Uh, there was no raised stage. And that meant that if you were not sitting in the front row, uh, that you were likely to have heads uh, you know in your way blocking the the lower halves of the actors bodies so i was going to suggest to them uh that they just build a you know just a, a race stage of at least a foot maybe two feet and lo and behold i walked in and they had already done that mm. uh, <laughs> and they, they and i asked them about it and they said well really we just didn't have time to do it for the first uh, show uh so so they solved that problem uh, there are other issues there are no wings unless you build wings uh you know at the right and left of the stage uh or unless you put i guess drop curtains or something like that uh people have to make their entrances from the back um, from the back of the stage. Uh, but uh, so, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if they're going to be doing any tremendously large scale musicals or epic plays there, but for many types of more intimate shows, it, it's, I think it's going to be a wonderful venue and we wish them all the best. You should point out that it's a 99 seat house. Mm. And um, not only that, um, it is on 45th street granted mm. It's, or is it 44th? No, 45th. Yeah. 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 And uh, very close to 9th Avenue. Yes. So, um, so it's in the theater district, a, a little off the beaten track. Um, if you get to um, the Al Hirschfeld Theater and keep on going up the street, um, you'll, you'll, you'll come to it on the same side of the street. So, um, but really, I mean, um, it, it, primary stages started out there, at least, at least right. part of its existence was there. And, um, and it graduated to um, better places because it really was, you should pardon the expression, a dump. Yes. But it isn't anymore. It isn't yeah. anymore. 
Yeah. And there was, as I said, there was that previous major renovation. And then they had that production of Around the World in 80 Days there. Do you remember that? Sure. Uh, but I'm not sure uh, what happened with that. Then, then it seemed like it, it fell into disuse again. And uh, and now these people have resurrected it. So really more power to them. And I may be wrong about this, but I even heard um, it was actually called the Davenport Theater for a while. Yeah. Ken Davenport mm-hmm. took it over. And I had heard that he had planned to sell it for something else entirely. But I guess these two guys came along and said, no, no, no. I guess whatever. It's, it's a fantastic thing. I'm not sure if that's true. I'm only telling you what I hear. I never say right. what I say is true. I only tell you what I hear. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, that wraps it up for this morning. Before we get on to the trivia and musical moments, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. has many ways to get us. Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can get finer podcasts, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some things we've talked about today, including that video of Audra and Michael Servers, <laughs> and uh, the video of what we're just about to talk about in our uh, musical moment. <laughs> so, Peter, do we have an answer to last week's trivia? A musical sports a song that's sung on the 13th, 16th, 21st, and 24th of a certain month. What's the song? What's the musical? 12 Days to Christmas from She Loves Me starts on the 13th and then respectively announces nine days, four days, and one day until the 25th of December arrives. Josh Israel was the first to get it, followed by Brigadude, Emily Cole Antonio, Deb Popple, Kathy Jones, Paul Witte, and Tony Janicki, who got it after 525,600 guesses. (laughs) (laughs) All right. This week's. What do these musicals have in common? The Baker's Wife, Cabaret, Irma LaDuce, Milk and Honey, South Pacific, and the 1968 Broadway production of Hair. Not the original off-Broadway one in 1967. No, the 1968 production on Broadway. (laughs) What do these musicals have in common? Okay, if you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com, and we'll let you know if you're on the right track. Also, uh, Josh Israel sent in a, a selfie of him, uh, a picture of himself with Peter's book, which got some extra brownie points with us. So. <laughs> I'd love him. Make him live to be 100. <laughs> All right, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Our opener and closer is a production number from, as you like it, called In Arden, uh, which gives you an idea of the size of the cast uh, if you watch the video. And it's a really terrific song uh, from this fabulous score by Shana Taub. Um, I have not heard specifically anything about a cast album of this show, but I have no doubt that there will be one. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, <laughs> please enjoy this uh, this audio and video from the actual production that is currently playing uh, through September 11th PS um, at the Delacorte Theater. All right. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Even though I shiver, I'm still alive.
have their round haunches gored. No, but the deer themselves are just as bad as we are. I recently saw one with an arrow in his heart on his dying breath. And when the other deer went by, they just ignored their wounded kin, deliberately leaving her to a cold and lonely death. And another thing, wait, I lost my train of thought. Jayquees, I love to cope with you in these sullen fits, for you are full of matter. Everybody, two, three, four. In our Find out what we're made of from the rain. In art, we shall find we're made of selfishness and pain. In art, we shall search for harmony in every turn. We shall make the same mistakes and never learn. But only Jayqueen. In art, we shall unify. In art, we shall all soon die. In art, we shall pitch a tent. We shall live in the environment. In art, we shall reach out in the darkness and arise. In art. Shepherd and our son. Till it burns out and kills us all. Together we'll heal our wounds. 